The 2020 baseball season is unlike any we've ever seen before. From health and safety protocols to the season being just 60 games to rules changes, you name it, so many things are different for obvious reasons. The year that everyone's going to remember is the coronavirus season in baseball because the season's so short. So let's try to make the best of a bad situation. Wanted to get some observations from one of the best observers in the business to see what he thinks of all this. I'm Dan Schulman, and this is a Swing and a Belt. Look, I think there's an, an understanding that there's the inherent risk of the coronavirus. The whole thing could be derailed by that. But I think the players, staffers, very excited to get going, very excited to get cranked up and thinking about the 60-game possibility. Buster Olney has been with ESPN since 2003. He writes for ESPN.com, is the host of the very popular Baseball Tonight podcast, and has been the reporter for Sunday Night Baseball since 2011. Prior to ESPN, Buster covered baseball for the New York Times as well. He is a proud graduate of Vanderbilt University and is equally proud to be from the great state of Vermont. Buster and I have known each other for many years. We worked together for seven years on Sunday Night Baseball, and uh, I always look forward to talking to him. Buster, how you doing? I'm doing great. That's right, Dan. Always fired up to go back and forth to you, that's for sure. And I miss you. I know. the la Well, the last time I saw Buster, I guess, would have been Game 7 of the World Series. But for seven years, as I mentioned, we worked together. And I still proudly wear my Vanderbilt t-shirt. I can't even remember what the side bet was that we had. But you lost a bet, I think, to me and Aaron and Jessica Mendoza. And they had to give us all Vanderbilt t-shirts, as I remember. Is that accurate? Yes, that's exactly right. Uh, I can't remember, though, what the bet was, but it probably involved Vanderbilt football because all of my bets on Vanderbilt football tend to be losers. It's in the rotation. It's one of my very favorite T-shirts. So uh, I think of you every time that I put it on. Let's talk about this crazy baseball season a little bit. I mean, you've been doing this a long time, a little bit longer than I have even. You know, when the virus started spreading and the owners and players started going back and forth, did you even think the season would get off the ground a couple of months ago? No. Uh, in fact, I, I at the beginning of, of summer camp, I did ESPN radio and they asked me what my assessment of the chances for uh, the start of the season start to get through it. And I gave zero percent to get all the way through the season and five percent to start. You know, and that was based on the conversations I was having with people at the team level where they were concerned about, you know, the health and safety protocol and the, the you know, as one general manager referred to it, the Swiss cheese of holes that they saw in it, especially when teams would start to travel. Uh, and clearly I've been wrong. And I also think that, you know, as this thing has gone along and there was one general manager who kept making this point to me that, you know what, this is a business. And once they start moving, even if there are teams that get, you know, shut down, if they have a number of players that test positive, they're going to keep it going. Because in the end, the people who are running the business, they want to get to that pot of gold, which is the national television revenue for the postseason. And that's going to be important. And that general manager, and I've reminded him of this two or three times, was exactly right where it's damn the torpedoes, full steam ahead. Yes, players are dropping left and right and opting out. And there are teams that are affected by this. And not all the teams are going to play the same number of games, but they're pushing ahead. Yeah, they definitely are. We've seen that through the Marlins outbreak and the Cardinals outbreak. So given all that, and you love the sport as much as I do, like, do you want to see them pushing ahead? Where is your line where you say enough is enough, you can't do this? And, and how do you feel about things from an integrity point of view, given what we've seen already? 
Well, and it's a great ethical question too, right? You know, all along, how much risk is too much for these players involved? I, I don't know how you felt. I have thought all along that the great wild card in this whole thing is the Russian roulette, which is how does the conversation change if a, especially a prominent player gets really sick or God forbid worse. I thought of it in context of the Buster Posey rule. You know, for years there was sort of a chatter among general managers about wanting to take out home plate collisions because of the risk of the you know the catchers involved and these are assets we want to protect. But that all changed and got accelerated after one of the best young players in the game, Buster Posey, had his ankle wrecked, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna deal with this. And baseball has been fortunate to this point. You know, we've heard about you know guys like Eduardo Rodriguez has been affected. Of the Red Sox, we heard about Freddie Freeman, and you heard the fear in his voice about what he experienced. But they haven't had that happen. You know, my my sense is, in terms of the integrity of it, I think it would require you know five, six, seven, eight teams all at once being shut down. Certainly, they're they're willing to live with one or two or three teams, you know, having outbreaks. Uh, I think it would take a lot more than that to shut it down at this point, especially as we get closer to that pot of gold that uh, <laughs> they would reach in the postseason. Yeah, and that's exactly right. There's so much money built into the postseason. So a, a story's come out in the last few days, Buster, and to me it makes a lot of sense, and obviously a lot of logistics still have to be worked out. But let's say they get to the playoffs. There's talk of a bubble, maybe not for the first round where you still have 16 teams, but maybe for the division series, the LCS, and the World Series. And again, you know, how early do players have to get there? Where would it be? What does a bubble actually mean? But the concept of a bubble in October, does that resonate with you? It makes sense. I remember, you know, back in the March shutdown, talking with a Major League Baseball official about that. And I, I do feel like because, you know, we think of the bubble concepts like we have in the NBA and the NHL. That's not what baseballs would be because they don't have enough time to put it in. You know, the NBA and the NHL, the players went to a spot. They were effectively quarantined. They got to do intake testing, and then they were okay to move forward. Well, if this is going to be effectively as a neutral site series that would allow players to avoid travel. You know, I've had so many managers, general managers say as we've gone through this, look, the great X factor is the travel because the unknowns, you're going to different places, you're getting on a plane, that would all be eliminated in this. It wouldn't be a true bubble scenario because – uh, you know, once that we get that final Sunday of the regular season, they immediately would have to slam into the postseason because you get 16 teams right. in those first four days. You have to do the, you know, the best of three series and you move on to the division series. But to me, if you can reduce the travel and reduce some of the uncertainty, yeah, play the games in San Diego, play the games in L.A., you know, play the games in these places where you can tell the players, look, you're going to be here for the next two weeks. Well, Buster, I happen to know a spot. It's a dome stadium, so you don't have weather issues. There's a hotel right in the ballpark, and it's the safest municipality of any of the major league cities. But there's a little border issue that I don't think can be circumvented. On the one hand, I think Toronto would be the perfect place. But on the other hand, obviously, the Canadian government is going to be resistant to that. Let me ask you, as you watch baseball this year, does the on-field product look good to you? Does it look, rules aside, leave the rules aside for a second, but does the on-field product look like Major League Baseball is supposed to look in your eyes? It's terrible. Uh, and I hear that from people all over. Veteran evaluators are telling me, this is the worst baseball I've ever seen. And it's actually been an eye-opener for me about the impact of fans. It's kind of a cool thing. Like, 
we were in the midst of the shutdown. We're in April and May. And every day on social media, you could see how fans were just clamoring to get the players back, to get the games back. And they were so excited to get them back. But since play has started, I think we really learned how much the players need the fans. And it makes so much sense, Dan, because let's face it, you know, if you were doing like a show open in your backyard, speaking <laughs> by yourself, okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you're going to bring something to it, but it's not going to have the same level of focus or anxiety or tension uh, that if you, you know, you're standing on national television and that red light goes on next to you and an Aaron Boone or a Jessica Mendoza is standing next, it's just a different feel. And so when I've watched games, I don't know if this has been your experience. My God, how many times have I seen players forget how many outs there are? You know, one of the games that I did on site was at Yankee Stadium. uh, And I was in center field, and I'm looking down in that game, you know, Aaron Hicks and Jackie Bradley Jr. And they so much reminded me of when my six-year-old son was playing t-ball. And he's down picking daisies out in the outfield. (laughs) That's the way it felt for those guys because there's no juice around them. There's yeah. nothing going on, and I do really feel like the overall product has been affected by that. Yeah, it's funny. I know for some players, they're just wired so that as soon as they step on the field, they're going to give, you know, to use a cliche, 110% every moment that they're out there. But I do wonder if for other players, if their heart isn't quite as in it this year, either because there are no fans or they think it could be shut down or maybe the whole thing just feels so strange they can't quite get that adrenaline where they normally get it. But for some players, I wonder if not going through the motions, but somewhere in between that and giving their best effort on occasionally happens out there. Drifting mentally, just not having the same dynamic there. And I, I agree with you. I think there are players in their teams that are are half shut down. You know, I, I had an evaluator from another team say uh, about a very, very prominent team. None of those guys want to be there. He's mm-hmm. like, they, they, they want to shut down right now. And then out of fairness to that group, I can't say the name of the team, but for me, and, and I, you know, you watch games uh, play out and you add other teams to that list. So you're watching them and saying, okay, that team's not into it. Okay. That team's not into it. Yeah. And you do wonder, I think one of the great questions about all this, given the risks, given things like service time benchmarks, you know, once some of these teams that are, you know, have the 10 worst records, you know, their future is cemented, so to speak, in the standings. If you're going to have a lot more guys drop out, like when Marcus Stroman dropped out the other day, right after passing his free agent benchmark, you know, there were folks in the Nets organization who were saying they were surprised. People with other teams were not. (laughs) They were like, you know, what's in it for him as a potential free agent? Yep. No, I think you're exactly right. And I think it's one of the stories we'll all be covering a lot more into September. I agree with you. I think we're going to see a number of players dropping out. And then the whole integrity question comes back around again, because at that point, the schedule will be imbalanced the rest of the way. But like, I think we just have to get into the mindset. If they're going to play, nobody said life is fair this year. And and it is what it is. And if I play 48 games and you play 60, then that's just the way it is. Let me ask you for you personally, because obviously in a normal year, Sunday night baseball, you're on site. You're at the ballpark all the time. You're at the ballpark the day before. You're in the clubhouse. You're on the field. You're gathering information. I know sometimes you're in the ballpark. Sometimes you're not this year. And when you're at the ballpark, what is that like to be literally the only guy in the ballpark pretty much? Tell me what your work experience is like this year. Yeah, and I think you would agree with me. The greatest time for people who cover the sport, whether it's you, whether it's me, 
is before the game when you're down by the batting cage and you're talking with the manager and you're talking with the coaches and you're talking with the players and you know you're getting some late insight and, and you're getting the feel for that. This year and the two times I've been on site, opening day in Washington when I was seated in section 126 behind home plate and when I was in center field in Yankee Stadium a couple of weeks ago, it really is like being at a zoo with that massive glass <laughs> between you and the tigers or you and the gorillas, and, you know, you and the leopards, you want to get closer. You want to have those conversations. Like I mentioned to you being in center field when Jackie Bradley jr. And Aaron Hicks were out there. Every time they run out for an inning, I found myself like wanting to make eye contact and wave to them. Hey, how's it going down there? Um, and that, it kind of breaks your heart a little bit. Like today, and getting ready for this weekend's game, I'm going to be at Yankee Stadium. we got Red Sox and Yankees. Big surprise, Sunday Night Baseball. And one of the stories that I want to talk about is Zach Britton, who you know is the Yankees closer with Rolf's Chapman out, but apparently during this COVID time has been a tremendous clubhouse leader. And normally I could go to the, the Yankee Stadium and pull, his, pull him by his locker and pick his brain. And now it's like you reach out to the Yankees PR, here's my number, can you see if you can call me? And I have no idea if that's going to happen but I totally understand why they would keep us separate. Like if I were players and I were going through all this protocol, my God, the last person I'd want to talk to is some dope like me who just drove <laughs> for state to come and see you. So when you're at Yankee Stadium this Sunday, you're sitting in the center field seats, the, the bleachers, literally all by yourself with some monitors, equipment, your laptop. You can Obviously, you can spread out as much as you want. And you're all alone out there for the entire game? And it's more stark than that, even because, <laughs> of course, you know, normally when you go to the ballpark, it's surrounded by fans and you're waiting through them and you go through security and you have to stop because all the fans are asking for Dan Schulman's autograph. And you want to be a good wingman. <laughs> but in this case, like when I went to Yankee Stadium two weeks ago, I go directly from the parking garage to security and I get ushered by a member of security staff to my spot in center field from which I am not to leave. I am not allowed to leave except to go to the bathroom. Wow. You know, during that uh, game we had a couple weeks ago, Aaron Judge hit a home run into left field stands, and so it just became kind of a fun banter. Hey, Buster, why don't you go pick up the ball since it's sitting out there? And Dan, I'm telling you, within 20 seconds of that, tech message drops on my phone. Not allowed to get the balls. They don't want you wow. leaving that area. Okay. Wow. And, uh, you know, and it, which, again, I understand. I'm not complaining. That's just where we are with baseball in 2020. Yeah, 2020. Unbelievable. All right, some current topics. Uh, I feel kind of strongly about this one, but I'm curious how you feel. Charlie Blackman was hitting 500 a couple of days ago. He's still hitting in the, you know, he's solidly in the 400s. And I'm starting to see tweets like, you know, he only has to hit 358 the rest of the way to hit 400. And I'm like, come on, guys. It, it's I. It's 60 games. And I don't care if it's 3.1 plate appearances times 60 games. It's 60 games. Where are you on records like that or milestones like that? And if there should be an asterisk, if someone were to say hit 400 this year? First off, you know, for, for Charlie Blackman, and I think knowing him, he'd be the first guy to say, yeah, if I hit 400 over 60 game season, it's not the same. And I just feel like all of it, you know, who, it, whichever teams win the World Series, Cy Young Award winners, MVPs, record uh, breakers in, in terms of percentages, it's just not the same. It's 2020. And I think that's how we're going to remember it in history. Yeah. I don't know if an asterisk is necessarily needed because this is such an outlier year where, you know, just as, you know, we look back at numbers, you, you'll remember this season, 1987 was a crazy home run year. And for, you know, the first decade after that, 
you look back at the numbers put up that year and say, okay, well, that was 1987. It was a weird year in the 90s. You know, we look back at those numbers. Yeah, that was a steroid era. And that's right. why 800 guys hit 30 homers every year. I think that that's how we're going to look back at all the numbers generated from 2020, that it's in a completely separate category. And within that context, we should tip our cap to Charlie Blackman for accomplishing what he did, but it's not the same. And I really believe he'd be the first to say that. Yeah, I think you're right. Joe Kelly gets suspended for eight games in a 60-game season. Some people say, yeah, but eight games times 2.7, which is the multiplier we've all been using. That's like 21 or 22 games. That's not fair. He appeals. It goes down to five. Where are you on suspensions? Because we've seen it with Oakland and Houston now, too. A different situation, a brawl, obviously. But where are you on suspensions uh, during this season? I understand you know, what they're trying to do, and that's alter the behavior. And Look, this goes beyond the Astros. From what I hear from Major League Baseball officials, when they met with the player association going into spring training. And then as they met with teams in spring training, they wanted to get the message across that we just don't believe in headhunting. You know, we just don't believe in retaliation. And I do think that there's a new sheriff in town. You know, Chris Young, longtime major league pitcher, is essentially taken over the job that Joe Torre used to do. Joe Torre was more old school in his mentality. Chris Young, I think, is just asking very open-ended questions. Does it make sense? that you have prone targets, <laughs> you know, guys standing in the batter's box being hit by opposing pitchers with baseballs, which is effectively assault. I think that's part of the reason why I came down on Joe so hard. I do wonder why. What's the point of giving him eight games initially if you're trying to alter behavior and then have to reduce to five? Right. It kind of mitigates the point to me. But I, I do like the sentiment behind it. I've always thought that, you know, the science dealing scandal that happened – the great missed opportunity was Rob Manfred not coming out in September 2017 and saying in the Yankees Red Sox Apple Watch thing, guys, if you engage in this sort of thing, you're going to get kicked out of baseball. I think that would have completely altered the behavior as you move forward, but he missed that opportunity. Yeah, agreed. Give me your thoughts on the Blue Jays situation, them playing in Buffalo, and, and how is that playing in the U.S.? It's become a, a fun topic of conversation, you know, just knowing players and athletes the way that I do, you know, you, you do wonder if it's going to become a rallying cry among the players, you know, especially, you know, guys like Jill panic as a leader of that team. Hey, this is a situation. Let's make the best of it. Let's move forward. I know there were a lot of people, fans in the, in the, this country who are upset that the situation was put upon the blue Jays. Personally, I don't blame at all the government of Canada because their number one job is to protect citizens of Canada. Yeah. And that's exactly what they were trying to do, especially the idea of uh, teams and players coming and going. It would be cool to see the Blue Jays go on a run and, and they would become darlings, I think, because of everything that they've gone through since the beginning of the year. Yeah, I think they're hoping to turn it into a competitive advantage. It'll be interesting uh, to see, you know, once, say, the Yankees show up or the, the Red Sox show up, how the visiting teams handle. And the Blue Jays have done everything they can to make the visitors' facilities as good as possible. But it'll be interesting to see over the course of the season. All right, some kind of rapid-fire topics, but not really going uh, as we get near the end. I want to ask you about a few things, and you tell me which of these you think will still be around whenever the world gets back to normal, whether that's next year or the year after, do you think the universal DH is here to stay? Done. It's over. It is here to stay for the same reason they put in the Buster Posey rule. They want to protect the most valuable assets, the pitchers, and they don't want them get having them get hurt in outlier situations, hitting or running the bases. Okay. Seven inning doubleheaders. 
I think that this opens the conversation to get to that point. Seven years ago, I had a general manager tell me he thought the best way to reduce time a game was to cut to seven innings, and I think the sport is drifting in that direction. You mean overall? You don't mean doubleheaders? You mean for every game? Yes. I think wow. the seven-inning doubleheaders are the start, and I think that baseball gradually will drift toward the idea of seven-inning games, even without a doubleheader. Runner at second in extra innings. I personally love it. I think the night that put it over the top, you were there with me, 18 innings in Chicago, <laughs> Yankees and Cubs. By the end of it, Jessica Mendoza had hypothermia. It was so cold. Uh, you know, the sport and even players now privately will tell you, yeah, it's not a good idea to be on the field for six hours. And I think people have, have found themselves enjoying the runner at second base rule more than they expected they would. You know what? I thought I would hate it, and I agree with everything you just said. I've come around pretty quickly on that one. Last one, expanded playoffs. Whether it's 16, I don't know, but do you think we're going to see the playoff format permanently altered going forward? No question about it. I think the altered format will be 14 teams where, you know, that uh, that first round, you are going to have the number one seed, get a bye, and you are going to have that NCAA uh, league selection show where the number one seed gets the picket's opponent, that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it all sounds so crazy. If we'd had this conversation uh, a year ago, people would have laughed us off the air. But now it's all real life. It's just so strange. But it's something we got to get used to. Buster, you're the best. Uh, I hope you can at least Uber eat something into the center field bleachers at Yankee Stadium this weekend if you get hungry. Or, or do you have to bring something in? What do they do for food? Do you have to bring something from home? That's your only chance? Dan, you not only have to bring food from home, but you have to bring drink from home. Like you are allowed. A last uh, game that I did, I brought three waters and a lemonade in. <laughs> and I had to had to get that all checked out before I walked in. The glamorous life of covering baseball in 2020. Buster, thank you so much. I appreciate it, my friend. Hope to see you soon. Always love talking with you, Dan. Well, there are few people who cover the game as well or love the game as much as Buster Olney, who's been a good friend of mine for a long time from our years working together at ESPN and always love to get his insights and perspective on baseball and never more so than now with things being as unusual and as unprecedented as they are. I, I can't stop picturing him sitting all alone in the bleachers at Yankee Stadium covering a baseball game on Sunday night. That'll do it for this edition of A Swing and a Belt, produced as always by Christian Ryan. I'm Dan Schulman. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next time.